0: I really didn't feel that, especially my communities and the communities I was in were being correctly represented in the media. And I was like, you know what? I just really want to tell stories and show the depth of these communities. My name is Will Small.
1: I use poetry to capture snapshots of what it means to be human. There's no better inspiration for this than real life humans in their natural habitat. So I've been having conversations with all kinds of beautiful, passionate, interesting humans who all call the Central Coast home. From uni students to business owners, artists to activists, young and old. In each of these conversations, a poem is hiding. I'm gonna find it and write it. And I'm inviting you to come along for the ride and hear the conversations that spark my creative process. Stick around till the end and you'll get to hear the poem. This podcast has been proudly supported by the Central Coast Council. Join me as I dive into the untold stories of coastal citizens and seek to capture them in an original piece of spoken word poetry. Tim Borum, My man. Thank you so much for coming and sitting with me at my uh, my table
0: here today and um, having a chat, man. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I've been... Since we first met, I've wanted to talk a bit further and uh it's awesome to finally be able to sit down and have a proper chat
1: yeah it's kind of funny because we we probably have only really met the one time yeah um but i've become a big fan of your work and you sent me some of the uh the north journal which you guys put together and just flicking through that So kind of one of those situations where i feel like i know you but i haven't really got to know
0: you so in some ways this is that yeah it feels funny because i've been listening to your podcast and that's I need to like hear your voice and see your mouth moving yeah. because <laughs> I'm used to like driving my car, listening to your yeah. podcast and, and now I'm on the podcast. Oh, well,
1: thanks for being one of my listeners. <laughs> That's how people end up getting asked to be on it. If I know that someone's listening, <laughs> they're obviously uh, <laughs> a good human. Um, so man, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about the North Journal because it's, it's awesome. And I'm mm. f- like, I'm curious about the story, mm. um, but I'd first like to just, you know, get to know you a little bit more. Like, have you Growing up on the coast here, or you from somewhere else and ended up here. Like, what's the yeah. backstory?
0: Um, so I actually grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney. I grew up in a awesome little community uh, called Avalon. It's like on the north side. Mm-hmm. It's basically the end of Sydney. Like Palm Beach is the northernmost point. Yep. Um, growing up there was incredible. Like everyone knew everyone. It was a really tight knit. The road to get in there is still to this day terrible it's a windy road they call the begola bends right and um often there was jokes made about the people that lived beyond the bends um but yeah i was lucky my grandpa built a shack on a hill there in the 70s and he escaped the city life for something a lot quieter um little did he know that it was going to become what it what it did mm. um and my family's been there ever since Mum taught at local school for I think like 35 to plus years um, and basically just a pretty lucky privileged childhood growing mm-hmm. up by the beach and spent my time surfing and things like that and then um, high school mum actually made me go to high school out of the area right um, which was at the time um, there's a lot of arguments about that I wanted to go to the local high school where my mum went um, and at the high school local high school theres like Behind the beach, like it's you can smell the salt air. Wow. And, um, but mum was like, no, if you go there, all you're going to do is surf. So she was probably spot on. <laughs> and she sent me to a school down in Brookvale, which at the time was, um, a really culturally diverse area. And it's probably the best thing mum ever did mm. for me got me out of my bubble, got yeah. me out of, you know, that kind of, I don't know that really blonde hair, blue eye, suburb and got me just socialising with people of different backgrounds and I just I – there's so much value in that, yeah. <laughs> you know, that experience. And even just commuting, like 45-minute bus trip every way, getting up early for that bus. Um, it was an all-boys school which at the time was like pretty rough and tumble. You know, it's like see a lot of fighting and all this stuff and but in a way it's – you kind of grow up, not so sheltered. Mm. Um, so, do you think that had something to do
1: with? I mean, now you do a lot of interviews. You you really seek out stories from a mm. real diversity of people. Yeah. Do you think partly that came from initially getting outside your bubble and sort of being exposed to different human experiences.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think my mum did it, and and my dad as well. Like um, they did a terrific job at getting us out and experiencing other worlds we were really lucky like growing up mum and dad were very working class but dad did have a job at Qantas so we got to travel at an early age for very like we used to pay like nothing to fly yeah awesome so mum dad could never come because he had to work but mum would often take us out of school and take us on trips to like we did a road trip through California and spent time in Yosemite as like a 13 year old and you know it was just mum myself, like I think I was only 12, and my sister was like eight at the time. Wow. Road tripping through Australia. I don't know how mum did it. There was no Google Maps. Yeah. Like she was – I was literally in the front seat with the map, helping mum navigate these highways. Wow. And there was a few meltdowns as a 12-year-old saying, "Mom, I don't want to do this anymore. Yep. But – um, Brave mum. Really brave mum. And taking – out mum like was so fearless. She would just take us like – we grew up in a Catholic household, so even like they were in the middle of – nowhere like staying in a crummy motel somewhere in the States Sunday morning like we had to get up and go find a church right and some like, sometimes those churches weren't in the most desirable communities or areas but mum would drag us in there and you know by the end of it we're having cups of tea with everyone afterwards and yeah so I think I think mum did a really good job at really like she gave us this amazing life by the beach and I feel so lucky to have had that but I do feel like mum was very keen on showing us the reality of mm. the world. Like I remember seeing San Francisco back then and that was like a pretty damn rough city. It still is, mm. and, you know, and seeing homelessness for the first time and as a 12-year-old it's really quite shocking mm. and um, and I was journaling all those trips, so all these trips that um we were lucky to do. Like mum had one rule, that like you could miss school but you had to write. Right. So I've got all these journals from those trips where – Every single night, no matter how tired I was, like I had to write one page. Wow, um, so that's so good. So it's probably where the writing comes from. It's like yeah. mum just forcing me to write, yeah, and creating that habit. And oh man, I want to interview your mum as well. She <laughs> yeah, sounds probably, amazing. Probably a bit more interesting than myself.
1: <laughs> no, well, it's you know obviously it's passed down the line. Mm. Sounds like you had just this beautiful uh, childhood. I love that mix of growing up in this beautiful northern beaches area, but also you know seeing. Beyond that, and being mm. kind of forced mm. by your mum and, and by your parents to see um, that there's such a diversity mm. of uh, places people live and how
0: they grow up and what their experience of life is like. Yeah, well, mum had grown up in um, like Kingsgrove, like in the city, like city. So, and her dad worked in the railways, and they were very working class. And they were just lucky that um, my grandpa decided he'd saw a block of land for a couple thousand dollars you know, wow. on, on the beaches and built a house on it.
1: And nowadays, you're living on the Central Coast. Yeah. You and your wife. Yeah, my wife So you recently got married. You guys Mm. run a cafe Mm. um, and you also make this thing called the North Journal. Mm. So you got a few things going on. How did you end up
0: here? So um, to be honest, I never thought I would leave where I was because I was traveling a lot for work. I've got a background in TV and I was really lucky that I was traveling for work. But Avalon or Whale Beach is actually where I was living with my best mate who I do the mag with. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd leave. We had this amazing deal. We were renting this house on the beach. I was there for 10 years. He'd been there for 13 years, this same house like on the beach. It was about to fall into the ocean but like we didn't care. Right. Um, and then I threw the magazine. Actually I met my now wife Grace. She's a really talented photographer and we had just become friends and I had – was trying to get her work in the magazine and always like really liked her work. And, and then it wasn't until like a year, a year or so later or maybe even two years later after we first met, we ended up together and we started going on these adventures together and mm-hmm. we actually drove across Australia together. We'd only been dating for about three months. And I said, hey, I've got this job I need to be in Western Australia for. I'm thinking I want to drive over there. Do you want to come? Mm. I thought I'll test the relationship a couple of months in yeah. and we did it and we drove across Australia together and that trip really changed me and, and I came back and I decided this country is so incredible I could live anywhere. I don't yep. I don't need to be in that little town, that community that I love so much. It's amazing but those communities exist everywhere. Yeah. So I started spending a lot of time in the Central Coast because Grace is from the Central Coast and her fa- and her family just embraced me and I just – I loved it up here. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Mm. So then I made a joke um, to her dad who had run this bakery. Her parents had run this bakery into Women Bay for 30 years and I made a joke one day and thought nothing of it. I said, oh, Jimbo, we should renovate the bakery. I'll go learn how to make good coffee. We'll really turn into this little hole in the wall coffee spot but keep – keep the family legacy going of the bakery too. And he said okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So then um within eight months, um, Grace and I opened the new bakery. I uh, will renovated and changed the face of it. And Grace and I went to intense coffee training with a friend of ours for like six months. Um, we just went and worked for our buddy who had a coffee company. Um and then yeah, all of a sudden <laughs> I was living on the Central Coast and running a cafe. Wow. So it happened really quick, really quick. That's
1: awesome. I mean, it's I'm sure you appreciate this, but the story behind things—you mm. um, you don't know it walking past, mm. but then you hear it, and it's kind of like, wow, that's a really cool story. That's mm.
0: um, a good joke, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe you said yes um, when I suggested it, and then but I feel like all my decisions in my career or my life have been very like. Whenever someone gives me an option, I always see the opportunity. I don't start really thinking about the risk, which can hurt sometimes. But whenever somebody kind of presents an opportunity, I immediately think of all the positive things that could come from come yeah. from it. Um, and one of those was, hey, if I'm doing this, like I get to move to Central Coast, which I fall in love with really quickly, um, and I can like it's a great way to become a part of a community really quickly is making people's coffee every day. Yeah. Because that was something I was a little bit nervous about. was like leaving my community where I knew everyone. Mm. Um, but, you know, within six months, oh, like, I just felt it's a God. part of it. It's an important role. <laughs> mm. The uh, the barista. It's like one of the <laughs> um, pillars of mm. community in the modern world, surely. <laughs> yeah, I've actually come to realise like how valuable cafes are. And, and yeah. I know a lot of people like, you know, make fun of latte sippers and all this stuff, but I really think um, cafes, like you've seen what they've done to certain areas, they really can change an area. Yeah. Like if you look at the Glass Onion in Long Jetty, the impact that cafe had on that like Long Jetty stretch is amazing. Yeah. It started the whole thing really. Um. So yeah, it, it feels really special to be able to like wake up every morning and and just. I'm just a part. every morning. I wake up and I just have conversations for six hours and then I go home and I'm like, wow, that's the most fulfilling job I've ever had. Yeah, wow. Mm.
1: That's awesome. So you do still doing this thing called the North Journal. Mm. Um, How did that start? Where where did it begin, this magazine that you guys make?
0: So Matt, who I started it with, um, we were living together and we were both kind of freelancing in our own little – world. So Matt's an amazing graphic designer. Uh I was dabbling in writing. I was all, I've always I've always written. I studied media and sociology at uni and so writing's always been a part of me, but you know, work in writing's pretty hard, so I found myself in TV. And Matt and I were both very creatively frustrated at the time. We were I was not expressing myself in my work enough. Matt wasn't like he was doing things for Telstra and these big things and he wasn't really getting to do the design that he wanted to do. Um, And then another big thing that I was – like a really big reason for starting was the current media landscape. I really didn't feel that especially my communities and the communities I was in were being correctly represented in the media. Mm. I felt there was these – stigmas and these stereotypes that were getting spread in our culture. And I was like, you know what? I just really want to tell stories and show the depth of these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt said, I want to bring them to life with his design. So we said, let's just do this magazine. We both know how to do it. We both worked in magazines. So we're like, let's just do one. We'll print it in an old newspaper factory in Marrickville. That way we're not dealing with overseas shipping and all these things. We'll keep our costs down. So I think we raised like two grand for the first one and because that was about how much it was going to cost to do like, I think we did 2,000 copies or something, mm-hmm. tiny. <clears throat> well, let's just do one issue. We'll just see what happens. And we finished the first issue, we got it out there and then we just looked at each other and we will like, well, we better do another one. Yeah. And then we've been doing that for five years. We literally just, should we do another issue? Yeah, let's do another issue. like Let's just keep going. Let's keep going. And it's really awesome how much it's grown and and just the people I've got to meet through it and and all the people that work on it. Like I must say that Matt and I started it but there's been people with us from the beginning that have played Mm. a huge role. Photographers, writers, everyone donates their time. Mm -hmm. No one gets paid a cent. Um, And all the money we raise just goes back into the printing of the next issue. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. It's beautiful, man. Like um, you sent me a few copies and just flicking through it like it is. It's beautiful uh, design, photography, writing, storytelling. And uh, what really caught me was that it it kind of – that like uh, just drive for kind of creativity for the sake of telling the story rather than pushing an agenda or selling a product – um, and just kind of, well, we'll just make the next one because that's what we'll do. That kind of really comes through. Like it almost screams from the pages. Mm-hmm. And I was even reading like in, uh, in one of them this morning, there's kind of your own process of saying, you know, we've got no exit strategy. We just going on one at a time. And then you kind of have these moments where you think about stopping mm-hmm. and yet you write that it basically continues to push you uh, to, to meeting more people, doing more interviews, kind of the idea that these deadlines actually keep you creating rather than just staying in your kind of small uh, comfort zone. I love that idea. It's a little bit like podcasting for me and a lot of the stuff I do kind of forces you just to keep making because there's something about the process mm. that becomes a part of who you are, mm. um, which is awesome. So well done to you guys. Thank you. Keep yeah. going. Thank yeah. you.
0: Well, you know, you, you would probably relate to this like you've got a, a family and and it's like sometimes the idea of just – chilling at home and, and spending time with your loved ones and doing things you love for yourself, like for me it's surfing and those types of things, that seems really attractive. That really laid back and and I often think about that and I'm like, that's the, what I love doing is just chilling and mm. not doing a whole lot. But then when I have a deadline coming up and I realise, oh, I've got to go interview this person, I've got to go find this story, I've got to – it enriches my life. Mm. And it does make me, for me personally, it makes me a better person because I'm meeting people that are completely different to me and I'm finding out about parts of the world that I know nothing about and I feel like that just increases my capacity to have like things like empathy, which Mm. is empathy I think is one of the most valuable human, you know, one of the most valuable human traits we can have is is have empathy towards someone's situation. So if you're talking to people in different situations, you're constantly thinking like, oh, how did they get there? How do they, so mm. therefore, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you must have some pretty, I imagine you have a whole collection in your brain of like sort of people you've sat with, stories that you've heard that have just um, really impacted you. Mm. Are there some that come to mind, like some particular interviews that are just,
0: you know, really have stayed with you? Mm. There's so many. Um, I wish I kind of flicked through a few magazines before I came to remind myself. Um, One amazing story which I felt really lucky to get was I did a story on this guy who was behind the cartoon called Captain Good Vibes. Uh, It was this iconic cultural icon in 1970s surf culture. Right. And it was this really depraved, like bong smoking, acid taking, look at the world, but it was really political too, mm. um, and it exists in the seventies. And basically, he had never done interviews; he was like a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me to be able to, I can't. It was just through a friend of a friend. Someone knew him, mm-hmm. and he's now an artist. And he said yes. Contacted him and he said yes to an interview which blew my mind and I got to go to his house and I rocked up and he's playing classical music and all this stuff and and just to hear his story about how fame really had a terrible effect on him mm. and he took to drinking and drug taking and all these things and, and he didn't even surf and he's hanging out with all these surfers and mm. he was in this culture and I just remember leaving that that day, just and that was recently. That was like I think two issues ago. Mm-hmm. I remember walking away from that interview, just thinking, "Wow, I can't believe like he let me in." Mm. And for someone who's for a long time pushed people away, for him to like let me in and spend two hours with him, I, I felt really lucky. Yeah. Um, so and then there's, there's another guy, John Witzig, um, famous kind of photographer who was also in that era, um, and it was really cool when we he started this tracks magazine, which is now back in the seventies tracks magazine was not just a surf magazine. It was a cultural music and it evolved into surfing, but it was very political and, and very outspoken at the time and was very against censorship and all those things that were happening in the seventies. And what's crazy is when I was speaking to John, we worked out that he started tracks magazine about eight houses down the road from where we started North journal. Wow. And that felt, I remember getting chills when he was telling me the address of the house he was at when he started and then telling me about him and his good mates started this magazine and they were basically starting it to say F you to censorship in Mm. Australia and and let's represent our culture that's not represented. Mm. And I just saw all these these parallels and the fact that it was geographically right next door basically too was, I felt like, wow. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) That's so cool that we connected. Like otherwise I would never have known that.
1: I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I did. We're going to get back into it in just a second. But I want to share with you some really exciting news. For me, it has been an absolute honor and privilege to sit with these diverse humans who inspire me, interview them and, and write poems about them. I have loved it. And I wanted to do something special with these poems I've written. Uh, I wanted to create something that you can hold in your hands. So I'm actually putting Uh, 12 poems I've written for poetic beings together into a book and I've collaborated with my friend Grant Maloney amazing artist and he is doing an artwork to go with each of these poems this is going to be a a beautiful little coffee table style poetry book uh, that captures just these ordinary stories of beautiful people it's going to be a limited run so you got to get in quick what I want to offer you is if you become a patreon supporter at just five US dollars a month, you will get the book sent to you for free when it first comes out. Um, just five US dollars a month, and you'll guarantee that you get one of the first copies of this book sent directly to your address. If you become a supporter at 10 US dollars a month, you amazing, beautiful, generous, poet loving human you, your name will go in the acknowledgements of the book, and it will forever go down in history that you were a part. Bring it to life. You got to do that before February the 16th, uh, just to make sure that it's in there and your name's in there before everything goes to print. Just head to Patreon.com/slash/WillSmall and you can sign up there now and guarantee you'll get one of the first copies of this book. So jump on that, get your name in the book, be a part of um, this kind of creative mashup of an arts project, and uh, let's celebrate stories of ordinary humans that remind us about all that is good about being human. Let's get back into this chat. What kind of feedback do you get from people who uh, pick up the North Journal? Like, Um, You must have people, uh, all different kinds of people, mm, I
0: imagine, that pick it up and read it and give you feedback. What do you hear? um, To be honest, I don't get heaps of feedback only because – I think we put the magazine out there in the world and it's pretty old school. We're not very active online. Like yeah. we're five years in and we only just made them available to purchase online. Like it's crazy. Right. Like people have been hassling me for years. Like put them online so I can buy it when I'm in Victoria or I'm in South Australia. So it's taken five years for us to even do that. So we just put them in cafes and that's it. We get the odd email. We get the um, – I get the odd text or whatever but – There was one amazing story that I did hear from a high school and it got back to my mum because she's a teacher and I was pretty amazed. Apparently they were having this kid in year 12 and really great writer but was really um, not doing any of his work and basically unfulfilling, not fulfilling his potential. And somehow he came across a North Journal and became obsessed with it. And he wow. got some back issues, and through reading North Journal, it kind of re-sparked his love for learning and English wow. and writing. And and that teacher went out of their way to like track down my mum because she knew mum was a teacher, and just to pass on that this kid's now doing really well in school because he's found something in the North Journal that he connected with. Um, so for me, that's that's all the feedback I need. Yeah. Um, How good is that? Yeah. So oh actually, and the other awesome feedback was. Guy's kind of become a bit of a pen pal of mine is like a ninety year old in a retirement village and yeah. down in Sydney and he's asked if he could subscribe and if I could post them to him because they're too hard for him to get because he doesn't get out. Um and every single time I send him an issue, he sends me a lovely text message to say thank you and how much he loved the issue and and I guess that's two ends of the spectrum there. A U twelve kid and a mm. ninety year old. Um so to me, that's that's the most amazing feedback I can get is that people are actually reading it.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I love your um, kind of focus on it, it's it's a slower form of media, and it's you know in a world of just like quick Instagram story and mm-hmm. you know online content etc. And nothing wrong with that, but um, it's great to be able to just pick up something and feel feel that it's taken time and been put together
0: in a way that's that's physical and old school, and mm. that's a cool thing. Yeah, it was a really bold move when we started it. Um, everyone thought we were really stupid for going into print because, like, why are you going into print? Like, it's that was literally like five years ago was when print was officially dying. All the newspapers were dying, mm. um, but we thought, you know what? Cafes, especially, is the one place where you can see people put their phones down mm. and start to interact. So we're like, what if we put something there on the counter for free? Let's get rid of the barrier. You don't have to buy it. You don't have, you don't have to subscribe to it. It's literally there. Take it if you want it. And um, I really love that form of media. I love yeah. that idea of here's something I can hold and grab. And and I understand how amazing social media is too. And I understand the reach you can have with it and and the impact you can have. But it is nice to do something that's a little bit more tactile.
1: Yeah. And it it says something to me, when when you have an idea and people are telling you that's a dumb idea, Mm. don't do it, and yet you choose to do it anyway, it says something about a deeper value. And it says something a little bit about how you're wired and what you care about and that you, uh, again, you kind of don't have um, some sort of financial or hidden other kind of agenda except just a desire to make this thing. So if you were to think about that, what do you think is the thing in you that would drive you to make a decision like that? What's the underlying value or what's the thing that um, for you and, and your mate has kind of made it something that you'd push through some of those barriers to do?
0: Um, there's definitely a stubborn side to both Matt and I. Um, we always riff on ideas and, and to be honest, almost anything Matt suggests with the mag, like even if it's a crazy – font or crazy colour or cover, I trust him implicitly. I always believe in anything, kind of ideas he has, like I believe in them and I feel like he's like that way with me too. So I feel like there's something deep in us where there's so much trust in what we both do and we really believe in each other and the fact that we were like living together, we had a home office and like the amount of man hours we put into it together, it must just be a stubbornness to believe in what we're creating. Yeah. I think I think there's something –
1: I mean, it's, it is a funny thing because even in terms of what we believe or what we value, I think we probably think that we can name that stuff, but I mm. think a lot of it is just – it's kind of the way we've been nurtured and raised and, you know, who we are, like DNA and stuff. And mm. we think we can name it, but we can't, or it's just part of who we are. Uh, but I think about the story you shared of, like, you know, travelling, like road tripping with your mum – and being forced to write a page every day and just being an observer of the world and a reflector because, you know, really that's what writing is, observing and reflecting. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of cool to think that that kid doing that late at night, exhausted as a kid is still doing that and reaching people in this format through it.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I've never actually thought of that link until, you know, you asked me the question. And for me to actually reflect on my life, I'm like, actually, yeah, I've I've been reflecting on the world and writing about the world, I guess, since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a habit. I, I recently interviewed a few artists and I was interviewing a bunch of people in all different fields and the one thing I really loved when I spoke to the artists was – and I'm not a very romantic person, like I'm a very rational – the world is the way it is and blah, blah, blah and, the, and mm. I always think you know your actions are from within you and you can't control those actions but it was really cool – interviewing artists who were quite romantic about their process. And I said, you know, what drives you to be an artist? And the, the artists in the room all kind of said the same thing and, and they didn't hear the other person's answers, but they were kind of all saying, I just feel like I have to.
1: Mm.
0: And they're like, I just have to. And I said, you know, like I can go without painting for weeks, but everything feels right when I'm painting and it's always something I have to get back to. And I thought that's such a cool response. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish I had that. <laughs> but may- maybe I do have that with writing. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I do need to write. Yeah, and I think there's, we were talking a bit before I hit the record button
1: just about, um, you know, writing can be um, pretty hard mm. and then you, you get on the other side of it and you kind of feel good that you just did it. Mm. I think that whether or not you romanticise the creative process for everyone who's actually making something and actually putting something out there and being in any way successful, however you measure that, there has to be an element of just showing up, Mm. just you know the discipline of it. Mm. Uh, It's never going to be romantic all the time. Mm. Um, And maybe even it's not much of the time, but there's kind of just that. It's just what I do. This is a discipline and it's a habit. And um, the good stuff comes out
0: of that. Yeah, how about with with your poetry? So I always think about... When I first heard your your poetry, I was pretty blown away by the idea of being able to write verses that have this like rhythmic motion to them. Do you believe in the process of just starting and just seeing where it goes or do you like go back and over and over and over something? Uh, I I believe
1: in, you know, multiple parts of the process. Mm. I think, and I t- like do a lot of workshops in schools and stuff and- Uh, A lot of other poets, you know, that I've met and that I look up to and are mentored by, you know, talk about this stuff as well. But the first step is just the dump. You just got to get stuff out. Mm -hmm. You just got to get the words on the page, the stuff that's going on in your crazy brain, just get it out. Um, And then, you know, that that takes a certain kind of brain space where you're being less judgmental, less critical. You kind of get out of the way of yourself. Um, Most people struggle to get into that brain space. They start in editing mode. As soon as they're writing, they're critiquing and they're judging and, um, you know, saying why it's not good enough. Um, And that mode is important, but that has to come later. Um, You kind of got to do the edit thing further on. But I think for me as well, like probably with my particular style, like I was really
0: influenced by hip-hop music and really just wanted to be the greatest rapper in the world before (laughs) I wanted to be a poet. You can hear that in your poetry though. You can hear those beautiful, you know, 96 beats per minute. Yeah. Kind of feeling through it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of funny because I, when I was,
1: I guess when I was, you know, really wanting to be an MC, I always felt like I was probably a little bit too like philosophical and a little bit poetic. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to explore spoken word, I felt like I was a little bit too hip hop, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I just kind of embraced that. That's the point. Like, you know, it's, you've got to find your style and mine is a very hip hop influenced, but spoken word kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But a big part of that was like freestyle was what got me into it. And in yeah. high school, I just wanted to be a freestyle rapper. And that probably helped with my writing a lot because it oh, was kind of like to. when you freestyle, you just say dumb stuff. And, <laughs> and you, you, a lot of the lyrics that you just say on the spot are really crap and sometimes you get a good one um, and you get better, I guess, the more that you do it. But I think that that's probably like influenced me in writing just the way that my brain puts links together, and then I still you know, definitely do a lot of editing and try and actually make it something
0: that's been carved out and crafted. So that's an amazing skill to be able to write and speak. So often people ask me to write something for them or they'll ask me to, you know, with some help writing something. But if I was to speak that out loud, it always comes out like mush and I can't construct a sentence. But for me, writing if I can just sit down on my laptop for five minutes, I can like just churn it out. So the idea of like standing up and freestyling to me is like my worst nightmare. Mm. Trying to like think on your feet because I feel like there's two disciplines coming in and two parts of the brain really playing with each other there. It's like petrifying.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's still scary for me. It's anytime I freestyle and it's a lot less these days, it's still like, it's uh, it's a pretty vulnerable thing because you're like, I don't actually know how this is going to go. Mm. I kind of might feel confident, but even still, if I'm honestly just speaking, like it is kind of to me, like my writing often starts with just doing a dump on a page and a freestyle is just a dump through your, you know, Mm. through your mouth, um, through your verbal page. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, what's something that uh, you've been through, whether through, cafe life or the journal life or just broader life that has actually been really difficult or has really stretched
0: or challenged you but has kind of shaped who you are today? Um, probably, probably the most difficult thing I've been through was my, my, no, my now wife, still sounds funny saying the word wife, but Grace, my wife, she got really ill and for about 18 months she was suffering with kind of an autoimmune mm. problem. And we actually started the cafe kind of smack bam as that was all happening. So trying to run the cafe and trying to look after her and I guess that was the first time in my life I had ever felt completely helpless um, because there was nothing I could do for her except be there. Um, and that was a that was a huge challenge was watching someone you love go through pain um, and then having to show up to work and, and put on a brave face and, and and you know, connect with the community and all those things I love doing. But then at home, you know, your partner's suffering and and, and going into doctors' offices and, and you know, we're really lucky it it's kind of past and, and I know that I mean, visiting hospitals over and over and, and intensive care places with her, I you very quickly get perspective. And there's always someone worse off, um, but that was a really trying 18 months. Just mm. a feeling, a feeling of helplessness. I learned what it feels like to be helpless. Which, yeah, yeah right. I, I think I'd never had that before. Yeah. So, but I'm really lucky now. She's basically made a full recovery. So we're, yeah, wow. we're very lucky.
1: I'm glad to hear that, and mm. congratulations as well on your yeah. recent yeah uh, wedding. Yeah. Um, what do you think you you took out of that? You know, those kind of I, I say often that the the most painful experiences we go through, they're the teachers. Like if we choose to listen, they suck, and you wouldn't ever wish them on anybody. But mm. we kind of open our ears during those times or afterwards, we do the observe and reflect thing. Mm. They can stay with us in significant ways.
0: Um, I learn a lot about strength, um, a lot about um, a lot about listening. I feel like. For a long time there I was trying to solve a problem but maybe I can't solve all the problems and sometimes the best thing you can do when someone's going through a tough time is just to like listen. And yeah, I think because my whole life I always felt like I was a very positive person who I always felt like I could solve problems for people and probably in previous job roles I was like producing and that was always my role was to be a problem solver. So when these things happened I thought I could just solve my way out of it. But when you're going to doctors and not getting answers and and all the doctors are arguing over what it could be and blah, 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 you learn that your most valuable asset is to actually just listen and, mm. and to be there for your partner and just to listen to them and let them get their pain or, and talk about their pain and just listen and just nod and and take it all in genuinely. Um, definitely the best skill I think that came out of it was just to learn to be a better listener. mm and not and not try to solve everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I'm now going to just ask you a string of quick fire questions, which mm-hmm. are going to help me in the process of trying to write a poem about you. Yeah. That's daunting, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want you to answer just like, you know, we're trying to get, it's almost a freestyle. We're trying mm-hmm. to get outside of our thinking, judgmental mm-hmm. brain. Mm-hmm. And just the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. It. All right. So if I was to go into a cafe mm. and order something on the menu that represented Tim, mm. what would it be? Just an
0: espresso shot. Yep, Straight to the point.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, if I was to um, look out at a landscape
0: that re- represented Tim, what would it be? It'd be where the desert meets the ocean. So yeah, there's contrast. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. Uh, time of day, look at the, the clock on the wall and it's Tim o'clock. What time is it? It's 4.45 AM.
0: 4.45 AM. Is that <laughs> when the, you get up for the, the yeah. surf or? Uh, that's when I get up almost every day without fail. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, for work, but then my body clock now just wakes me up at that time. Yeah. yeah.
1: my little two year old has been waking up at, you know, in the fours recently <laughs> and I am hating it. Yeah. Like it's I a brutal time when you see the fours back. on the clock.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a book, I go to a library, I pick up a book that represents Tim. You don't have to tell me the title, but maybe what section it's in or describe what it looks like, feels
0: like. Oh, yeah, I know the book. It's um, And it does have a title. It's, uh, it is Surf Is Where You Find It by Joey Lopez. Yeah. I just like that title a lot. Awesome, awesome. And uh, let's just do
1: one more. If you were a piece of furniture...
0: What kind of piece of furniture would you be? Hmm. It's probably one of those like postmodern chairs. I'm trying to remember what they're called. Grace is obsessed with them. Um, Let's just go with postmodern stool. Cool. (laughs) If it's
1: really postmodern, it doesn't need a name. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's not is even, it is name. it even a
0: stool? Yeah, it's a not even a stool. It?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, man, for for having a chat today and um, keep doing what you do, both just the, the rocking up to the machine and making coffee for people and being connected to your community as well as the telling these bigger stories and getting outside of your comfort zone to invite other people into um, you know, the, the pages of this special magazine that
0: you guys create. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me, man. Really I'm appreciate pleasure. it.
1: boy in the car holds a map his brave mother teaching him to explore beyond the edge beyond the bends he loves the taste of salt air the place he calls home but there's a world beyond there and it deserves to be known yosemite to san Fran, the beauty and the ache in every landscape a face in every face a landscape There's only one rule, mum lays down on the road, you must write every day, give your words to the page. And so the boy is exploring and learning and writing, and now the man is exploring and learning and writing. Journals follow his footsteps, from those childhood pages, to the house near the ocean where two friends, both creatives, began curating a publication of human stories collated. Ironically, he learns about life through the deadlines. The pursuit of real stories, deeper than headlines. Empathy grows every time that you go beyond the border of your comfort zone. These days, the stories come to him as he stands behind the coffee machine, finding deep meaning in this daily routine. The dignity of simple conversations in a renovated bakery the unintended punchline of a casual joke. He may be straight to the point like the espresso he pulls. A problem solver who knows surf is where you find it, if that's what you seek. But he's learned some problems can't be solved with the words that we speak. And the most powerful words can be the ones we don't say. Our listening presence when we choose to make way. To hold space and just sit with someone in their pain. To let the desert meet ocean. Let the water wash where it stings. Wake at 4.45 when the sun's not yet up and look for the stories hidden between every takeaway cup. And remember to live by the rule. You must write every day. Give your words to the page. And they might help you find north should you lose your way.